If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. So we'll be discussing uh, the business of games. Larry, a 20-year veteran of the game industry, will explain how a business mindset can help you be more successful. This presentation is about more than making wise business choices. It is about developing a framework for financial decisions. All right, everyone, buckle in. So I believe I am ready on this side. So whenever you're ready, Larry, go for it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Are we all, all good? Audio good on this, Brandon? Yep. The show floor is yours. Perfect. Now. Thank you. So um, let me start off with an introduction. Let me start off by telling you what I don't do. Um, I haven't written a line of, of code in over 40 years. Um, I'm possibly the least talented person in the world when it comes to graphics. And, um, and let me also just offer a confession. I'm absolutely laughable when it comes to uh, online gameplay. Um, yet over the past 20 years, I've been pretty successful in the games industry. And I can honestly say that, um, that I have fun at work, uh, every day of my, my career. Um, my goal is to teach you what I have learned in the hope that it contributes to your success. Let me, um, let me start off with the next portion of the presentation by telling you, um, I'm, I'm hoping you're, you're asking, uh, who is this guy and why should we bother listening to him? So my credentials. Um, from 2001 to 2011, I was part of the team over at Stardock. Um, we shipped games including Galactic Civilizations 1 and 2, Sins of a Solar Empire, Demigod, Elemental. Um, during that time, we built up a Steam competitor called Impulse. If you uh, were involved in the gaming ecosystem at that time, you may remember it. Um, in 2011, that was sold to GameStop, and I joined GameStop as the uh, business development manager um, for their PC digital sales, which was a great opportunity. It got me um, to work with with every major um, game company. As, as I used to say, uh, I worked with everyone from, um, from Activision to ZeniMax. Um, in 2013, uh, I joined Night Dive Studios. My, um, my reason for that was in part uh, because I wanted to get back to a studio that was creative that actually uh, made things. Um, my title is Director of Business Development. Um, we have over 100 titles published on Steam, GOG, Xbox, um, Switch, uh, soon PlayStation, um, including the System Shock and Turok games. Um, last year, working in cooperation with Atari, we did Blood Fresh Supply. And then most recently, um, working with our friends over at Bethesda, we released uh, Doom 64. At the uh, at the very bottom of this slide, um, I have my education. Um, I have a Bachelor of Science degree from New York University. I have an MBA from Detroit Mercy. I was a MBA Scholar of the Year um, when I graduated, a member of the Business Honor Society, et cetera, and so forth. So um, the reason that I put that in smaller font and at the bottom is um, – 
truth to tell, um, I have never gotten a job in the game industry because of my education. So if you're uh, if you're concerned with either um, getting a degree or uh, of, of not getting a degree, it is it is neither a guarantee of success if you get one, nor a barrier of success if you don't have one in the game industry. Um, with that said, I, I am kind of proud of my education and uh, and what it means, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, I uh, always describe this slide as uh, a star of uh, stage, screen, and uh, and podcasts. Um, one area that I've been pretty successful is um, in working with the media. And if you follow Night Dive Studios, um, particularly our, our latest release of the demo, uh, the alpha demo of System Shock, um, we get a lot of, of media exposure, um, most of which is, is pretty positive. So, um, so there we go. So that's uh, that's my role in the media. Um, probably the uh, the thing that I'm I'm most proud of is the work that I do outside of the company. Um, stuff to where I, I volunteer. So I'm um, I'm co-chair of the Las Vegas chapter of the IGDA, International Gamer uh, Game Development Association, and um, I work as a mentor, um, a regional coordinator for them. And uh, I have was was actually the first person that was acknowledged by the IGDA um, for my volunteer efforts um, supporting services like the Red Cross and uh, the World Health Organization. Um, not not so much a plug for my company, but um, with uh, the virus being uh, being on everybody's mind, I, I just want to tell you that that since um, since the beginning of this year, Night Dive has helped uh, raise uh, 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 half a million dollars um, through various efforts, working with Humble Bundle among others um, for for kids in hospitals and uh, for uh, N95 masks for for healthcare workers. So that's uh, that's pretty important to me. Um, title of my presentation is uh, is is business uh, mindset as as a philosophy, and and I want you to think about this, um, not just not just the pure business itself, but as an approach to to problem solving, as something that you can employ on an on an everyday basis uh, to help you. Uh, overcome problems uh, that that you're facing. Uh, that it's analytical, it's data driven, which are, are things that are are often very appealing to people in uh, development. Um, it's a guide for making decisions, ranging on everything from game design to hiring practices. Uh, it is not just about profitability, but profitability is an important aspect of the business mindset. And putting this into a practice, we're going to go through an example, something that I think every developer, particularly um, particularly new studios face, which is answering the question of, of how long should I work on my game and, and how long can I work on it and still be profitable. So again, it's, a, it's about a framework that will help you to make choices. So why should you care about profitability? Um, well, if you uh, if you want game development to be a career, not just a hobby, um, if you want to be happy in the business, uh, the primary source of dissatisfaction cited on various game development forums is uh, a lack of compensation, specifically uh, the disconnect between the amount of effort that it takes to make a game and the reward and how, how you get compensated for that game. Um, what defeats us is very often a lack of a business focus at the outset. 
And uh, what I'd like you to do when you start thinking about, about your next title is to ask yourselves, uh, how do we expect our games to generate money? How much money should we expect? Where will we sell them and what will we sell them for? Um, I tell people all the time, when you start out to make a game, deciding on the business model should be as important to you as, as what platforms you're going to launch on or, or what engine you're going to use. Um, you should probably spend as much thought on that part of it as you do on any other aspect of your game design document. Um, I help out on, uh, on game development social sites. The single most common complaint that I hear from developers is that the amount of money that they will make from selling their game does not justify the effort that they have to put in to create the game. And yet when I ask them, um, how did this align with their business plan? Did you, did you meet expectations for your business plan? Did you expect something different? What changed? Very often they say that they didn't have a business plan. Um, it needs to go alongside all the other aspects of your development roadmap. So um, I actually pulled this cartoon from um, from the uh, game, the indie game developers um, Facebook page, where several thousand people um, you know liked it, uh, saw it, retweeted it. So the 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 cartoon shows a developer saying, well, making our game took over two years. We barely paid ourselves. Seems reasonable to price the game at $15. And, um, and then when they, they post it up, uh, when the game actually goes on sale, they're, they're accused of being greedy, of uh, not having enough gameplay, et cetera, and so forth. And, and the reason it, it, it's funny or the reason it resonates with game developers is because there's, there's an element of truth to this. Um, the developer figured on pricing of the game based on how long it took him to complete it, not the other way around and not the content of the game. Um, if that sounds depressing, let me lighten things up a little bit. Um, I'm, uh, I'm guessing everybody is familiar with uh, the underpants gnomes from South Park. Um, they come up with a three-phase plan for success. Phase one is they're going to collect everybody's underpants. Phase three is they're going to profit. Phase three is always profit. And um, all that they need is, is phase two. So um, I don't know anybody in the game's business that does not, does not know this cartoon, that this does not resonate with. Um, the, the point is about this is that your business model needs to be well thought out uh, in advance, and it needs to be realistic. So there's a basic formula. Um, costs. Most especially development time, equipment, licenses, marketing, spend, etc., um, must be less than revenues. And revenues come from sales revenues, ad revenues, etc. Um, net of, of whatever platform fees, Steam, Nintendo, um, uh, Play, Apple, um, whatever those guys take out, and any other deductions like taxes, VAT, returns, that kind of thing. Usually you see this the other way. Usually you see somebody saying, well, revenues must be, must be greater than costs. And uh, the reason I, I kind of flip this on its head is because you have less control over revenues than you do over costs. Costs is the one thing that you have, you have real control over, and, um, and revenues is something that uh, requires, requires outside influences to, to generate that. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, how do you determine costs? 
Well, developer time, the amount of time that you spend in, uh, in creating your game is going to be your, your single largest component. But I urge you from the very beginning of a project to track everything. All the time you spend coding, all the time you spend creating art, discussions, meetings, all of that stuff. And you're going to need this, this information, not only for, for your presentation in the current game, but to talk about how you're going to work in the future. Um, be aware that in a very, very real sense, time is money. And we'll talk a little bit uh, as we move on to how do you assign the, the value to that. Um, one of the one of the things that you're going to hear me repeat over and over again is is ask your fellow developers what's the going rate for game developers with similar experience similar skills it's the best way to get that information so talking about asking your developers um asking your fellow developers I'd like you to, to really pay attention to this slide. If you get only one thing from today's presentation, this should be it. Build your business network. Um, you may not want to think of it as your business network. You may want to think of it as, as social, as developmental, but, um, it is a valuable and relevant source of information, particularly information, uh, about wages and, uh, and values. Um, you're, you should be able to share resources. You may find that you have a lot in common with other developers and are working towards common goals. Depending on your situation, you might end up getting a job offer if that's something that you're looking for. And, and then it, it's probably the single best way to, 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 to combat loneliness, which is a, a really serious issue in the, in the world of game development. So what I'm going to urge you to do is begin to find game developers. Start off looking for game developers in your area. And one of the reasons why I emphasize in your area as a starting point, um, particularly when you're looking at, at the value of time, that varies. Um, going wages vary depending on areas. So uh, if you're comparing, for example, how much a developer makes in Warsaw, Poland, you probably don't want to use what a developer is getting paid in San Francisco as a comparable. Um, the, the guy in San Francisco is going to make multiple times because the cost of living because of a number of, of other factors. So you really want to start off building your network by looking at people in your area. Well, how do you find other developers in your area? There are a couple of great tools, um, one of which is find out if there is a local IGDA chapter in your area. Um, participate in game jams. Um, there are all kinds of, of events going on in areas that are a great place to network. Um, a, uh, a, a very prosaic, very simple lesson that I have for developers, but that um, often needs to be repeated um, Make up business cards with your contact information and keep them with you at all times, just in case you run into somebody that is a, a fellow developer in your area. Um, if you, uh, if you, if you can't find anyone through a, a local IGDA branch and there aren't any game jams going on in your area, well, there are a couple of different ways that you can, you can still find people out. Um, you can do searches. Um, I actually, uh, when, when people ask me about how I, I got my job at Night Dive, I actually uh, cold called Night Dive um, after my time at GameStop. And um, 
I did a search uh, based on uh, based on companies in a specific area. Um, ended up talking to the CEO of Night Dive, and the rest, as they say, is is history. Um, so use use search engines. You can use social media. Um, you know, LinkedIn is is actually my preferred path, and I, I know a lot of developers don't use LinkedIn, but you should. One of the reasons why I, I favor LinkedIn is because you can do searches um, based on multiple criteria. People in game development in a certain area, um, you're able to do that via via LinkedIn. Um, there are other ways of getting in contact with people in your area. Twitter always works. Uh, I, I tell people that if you're going to approach others on any kind of social media, if you're going to do any kind of cold calling, the primary thing that you want to bear in mind is be candid. Um, you might want to start off by saying, I'm a game developer just starting out. Would you have a few minutes to answer some questions for me? Be frank about your experience or your lack thereof um, and the nature of your quest. If you're, uh, if you're like uh, so many developers and, and kind of an introvert, this can kind of be hard, but it is so worthwhile. If you find uh, people in your area that are, that are also doing game development, there are so many benefits aside from shared resources, shared information. It opens up social context. I mean, there are just so many positives. So again, if you're going to take one thing from this presentation, it's to build a, a business-focused network. So the cost equation. Um, it's value multiplied by hours. So let's use a, an example. You and two friends work on a game for two years. You each devote as much time as possible, uh, but it's uneven. So you want to track the numbers that you have, and then you can do some conversions. Uh, the, the number of hours in the average work week, it's no longer applicable, but we still use these for calculations, is 40 hours. That's five days uh, of eight hours of work time each. That's, that's kind of the basis. Uh, a man month is the number of hours generally worked in a month. There's some variation here. Um, the EU defines a man month as 140 hours. The U.S. definition is closer to 160 hours. But again, we, we use that. Uh, it's important for you to know the term man month. And then there's annual time. Again, there's some variation, but generally, and, and this number is kind of rounded for convenience sake, we look at, at 2,000 hours, uh, 50 weeks at 40 hours per. So this concept is very often foreign to developers. I mean, we think about working as long as it takes to do the job. So why is this important? Well, you're going to need this for your own growth and your professional development. Um, you need this for your other team members. Uh, but there's another reason for this. If you're going to be pitching your game to publishers, publishers want to know how much you have invested in creating the game. And the majority of that investment is going to come in the form of time. If you're going to pitch your game to a publisher, the expectation is that you will not only be familiar with these concepts so that you can talk about, about average work weeks, about man months, about annual times, um, but that you will have this information at your fingertips. Uh, my local IGDA branch, we just hosted a presentation from um, Justin Berenbaum of, of Exola. Um, Exola often provides funding for indie developers. One of the first questions they ask is, is how much have you invested in creating the game? And if you say, gee, I don't know, um, that, that kind of um, is not the answer that people are looking for. So some revenue terms. Um, 
And again, I, I want to make sure that I define some of the basic stuff for you. Gross revenue is the, the sale price multiplied by the number of units sold. So an example, um, you sell a thousand units of your game on Steam at $10 each and uh, your gross revenue on the title would be $10,000. The net revenue is the amount that you actually get paid. It's gross revenues, less allowable deductions, which include store fees. So Steam charges 30% um, as an example, returns, fraud, etc. In the case above, um, so while your gross revenue would be $10,000, your net revenue would be 7000 or less, depending on how many other deductions beyond the, the Steam 30% fee. Um, other allowable deductions that will come up, taxes, VAT, or standard. If you sign with a publisher, there's often a paragraph that defines these deductions. I'm going to urge you to read that paragraph very carefully. Um, this can include things such as marketing. Uh, in the old days of retail, MDF or marketing development funds were, were a big deduction. So again, standard platform fees are 30%, Epic charges less, mobile free-to-play revenues are, are, are harder to predict. So let's just use a, a PC game um, that would be sold uh, on Steam as an example. If you're truly independent and self-publishing, you need to understand that your, that your net revenue is going to be your gross revenue minus at least 30%. Um, the other part about this, about your negotiations with publishers and about what's allowable, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to urge you to, to spend a lot of time on this. Um, the, the second time that I signed a game with a publisher, and it was back in my, my time with Stardock, so in the early 2000s, um, we agreed that marketing was an allowable deduction. But I didn't really have a, a definition from my publisher of what marketing was. So uh, my company ended up paying the salary for their marketing manager, who actually did very little, if anything, to help our sales. Um, so I, I learned an, an important lesson there about be careful with, with what's getting defined under that section. Okay, so forecasting revenues. Um, remember at the beginning I said that, that your costs are much easier to predict. You can track that and, uh, and revenues are, are harder to forecast, but you still want to get some idea of that, um, as you go into it. So how do you project the number of, of units you're going to sell? Well, the easiest way is to find comparable titles, same genre, similar size developers. There's a fair amount of data that's available online. Steam Spy, if you're making PC games, is one example of a tool. But you know what? The best way to come up with realistic sales projections is through that network, through your network of business contacts. So in order to, to, to forecast how many units your game is going to sell, both for you uh, to make a sound business decision and as a key part of any pitch that you're going to send over to a publisher, you need to gather that data. Um, Easiest way to do it is to say, well, games in this category typically sell so much. So how do you find that out? Well, if you go out there and you start um, looking for people who have done similar projects and you're able to develop a relationship with them where you can ask them, you can create a spreadsheet and say, well, at the high end, it, it's so many copies should sell. At the low end, so many copies should sell. And this is an average for a game in this particular genre uh, from a, a team our size. 
Um, so the example that I will use, and I'm, I'm trying to make this um, very pertinent to people, but the example that I use is uh, a visual novel. And, uh, and you're going to be pitching that visual novel to a publisher. Well, the first thing you want to do is make sure you don't compare that game to something completely in a different genre. You don't want to say, well, my game will sell as many, you know, will generate as much revenue as Fortnite did, right? So let's get get down to basics and talk about how how we uh, develop the projection on this. So, okay, I'm hired as a consultant for an indie company working on a visual novel. Um, I really know very little about visual novels, but I do know how I would attack the problem. I'm going to head over to uh, to Itchio, and I'm going to look at, at, at titles uh, that are similar to to what I'm looking to develop, and I'll find the one that's that's closest to my clients. So I click on that title, and it gives me a link to the developer studio. Um, in some cases, I actually get contact information, maybe the developer's Twitter address. Um, Maybe I, I, you know, I get a Twitter handle on there and I reach out and I begin by asking them if they can spare some time. And again, what I had said earlier, I'm completely candid um, and, and I make sure that my request is clear. I, my email might say, hi, I'm an indie developer working on a game similar to your title. And I always mention the title of the game that they're, they're, they've already done. Would you be able to spare a couple of minutes to help me by answering some questions? So in that statement, I've explained who I am. I've explained what I'm going to be asking for, and I've explained the reason that I'm, that I'm asking for it. My game is similar to yours. I'm trying to gather some data. I'm looking for your help. Let me talk to you a little bit about cold communication. Um, always be clear what you're asking for. Always state if you're asking for help. And then be clear that you won't take up uh, too much of the other person's time. Time is always precious. Get to the point and and don't waste time. Um, I'm not going to stop with one title. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to click on every title that I can find that's in a similar genre from a similar size studio. Um, I'm going to get as many of them as I can and and make the assumption that not everyone will will answer me. Um, if I get lucky and I establish contact with all the developers, I'll have a great network. If I only get some of them, I should still get, get enough information to be able to make a forecast. And you don't need to begin by browsing Itch or Steam. Um, if there is a particular title, and this is almost always true for, for developers. If there's a particular title that influenced you, that made you want to create the game that you're working on, that's a great place to start. Reach out and explain how influential the developer was to you and see if they'll be willing to give you some help. Um, flattery is always good if it's sincere. So, okay. Um, we've now got the two points in our equation. We've tracked all of the time and, and effort that we spend in a game. We've got all, all of the other um, resources uh, uh, laid out for us. Um, and so um, we learned through our research and networking that the best, best price for the game that we have that we thought was going to be a $10 game is, is actually $5. And we learned that because people said, well, gee, um, I didn't sell very many copies of my game at, at the full, you know, retail price. We use the term retail. 
even though it's no longer in a retail store, but at the full price. But boy, when my game went on sale at 50% off, that's when I really started moving units. So we, uh, we find out that the low end of sales for a, com- for a title like ours is, is about 2,000 units, and the high end is about 8,000 units. So you know, if you add that up, you come to an average of about 5,000 units for our model. And uh, we further decide that the best place to sell our game is on Steam. So the equation becomes five thousand, um, uh, and uh, times five dollars times seventy percent. Remember, Steam is taking thirty percent off, so all you're getting is seventy percent, or seventeen thousand five hundred dollars in projected net revenue. So with this information in hand, we can now answer the question: How long should I actually spend developing the game and still be be profitable? Um, let me emphasize again. Um, I hope nobody's taking notes on this. These are completely made up numbers. And, and I, I made, I used the $5 and $10 price points just because it makes multiplying easier, um, easy calculation. Um, but the point being on this is that you can now forecast what your expected revenue is going to be. And as long as you're, as long as you're investing less than that, you're going to, you're going to show profitability. So the equation part two. So now we have a budget of 17500 to work with. If our cost is less than that and our sales projections are accurate, we'll be profitable. It turns out that all the tools that we need to create our game are free for use. Um, we're fans of Doki Doki Literature Club, and it turns out that the tool that uh, the developers used on that was RenPy. Um, there's no cost, and even support is, is free via the forums. Um, further, it uh, conveniently turns out that the going rate for developers with our level of expertise in our home location is $17.50 per hour. So we want to create our game in 1,000 hours or less. Again, I'm going to emphasize that um, these are numbers that I, I just picked um, for, their, for their convenience factor. Hey guys, a quick word from our sponsors for this episode. Games Boost 42. You guys, building an app and trying to get it to launch off in the mobile market is one of the hardest things to do. I should know. I used to work at a mobile company. A lot of it has to do with getting people to try your game more so than how great your game is. But if your game is already great, why not partner up with someone as great with the marketing and everything else that comes with making a successful app games boost 42 it will help you increase your revenue and make it grow faster without any investors or publishers get access to your app store revenues today and keep 100 percent control of your company and products also they will fill your marketing for the smallest percentage rate on the market starting at 2.2 percent with crystal clear paperwork that has no hidden costs what you see is what you get they are the official partners of five top-notch mobile agencies to provide a full range of marketing service for those of you who want to just sit back and see your user acquisition grow so do yourself a favor don't wait any longer go to gamesboost.com 42.com the link is as always available in the description of this podcast now back to our episode okay so you can now say that that if we make our game if it takes us less than a, a thousand hours or less um you're gonna you're, you're gonna be able to show profitability and again this is a part where the business philosophy helps you make decisions about every aspect of the game including design 
We want to bring the game in at under a thousand hours. So you now examine your work habits. It turns out that you average 20 hours a week working on your game as a one person studio. Um, that means that you want to complete the game in 50 weeks or less of working time, right? Um, now that you have the start and the end points for your development schedule, you can develop milestones to fit those goals. Um, milestones or goals that are tied to specific times are key to staying on track. So the milestones will give you a couple of things. Um, 1,000 hours is a concept. A milestone, in contrast, is a goal with a time limit. Say you're going to spend 20 hours a week for four weeks to help learn the software, and that some of the Python that you'll use is something that you can keep track of. Um, having these milestones helps you stay on track and measure your progress. They guide you to help you to help you stay focused. Uh, again, you're you're setting it up that way and saying, okay, here are the miles, the six milestones, the six intermediary steps. Maybe you're going to spend four weeks in in learning the software and setup, and that's your your initial milestone. At the end of four weeks, if you're not done with that, you've fallen behind, and and you need to be more focused. If you're ahead of schedule, great, you can you can use some of that unused time on your next milestone. A couple of things on this. Um, not only do milestones help you in the development process, not only are they are they beneficial to your own internal work, but boy, if you show this to a publisher and uh, and you're coming out there saying, well, this is the first game that I'm working on and you have a schedule with milestones and key dates and what you're going to complete by that time, you're going to look way ahead of, of many of your competition. So some tools and resources to help you. Um, Twitter. Looking to build up your, net, your network, probably Twitter is the easiest way to reach your fellow developers. Unfortunately, uh, until you're, you're better known in the community, um, your DMs um, may be ignored. Uh, but once you, you, you gain that, it, it's great to build up a network uh, of, uh, of people that, that you work with and um, where you can amplify each other's social signal. So again, some, some true life stories. Um, Night Dive has worked on more than one. You know, we, we specialize in restoring classic games. Um, we are certainly not the only company in there. So people that I, I regularly talk with and, uh, and sometimes uh, actually work with, um, guys over at 3D Realms, um, who, who have a long history of, uh, of restoring and publishing classic games, and uh, the guys over at New Blood, um, whose games are new but are in the classic style. Uh, two things on there. Um, number one, um, we're able to we're able to to help each other because we're kind of playing in the same space. But secondarily, I, I actually really like those guys, and um, and we chat about just a lot of stuff. I mean, it's it is certainly not all business there. Um, uh, last night we were talking about uh, early days of punk rock music, so um, something that is that is near and dear to my heart. Um, that that said, you know, Twitter is is a useful tool. LinkedIn. Many developers ignore LinkedIn because it has a business focus. That is its very strength. You can search by company. You can search by name. You can get the person's title and background before you reach out to them. Also, and, and do not ignore this. This is really important. Once you've built up a network, once you have some contacts on LinkedIn, you can get referrals to new people. So you might be looking for somebody at the 
XYZ company and, uh, and you find the right person and they're uh, a C-level executive at XYZ and, and you're a little bit afraid to cold call them. Um, but um, what you find out is that you have a friend already at the ABC company that's already connected to them. All through LinkedIn, you can ask your friend at ABC for an introduction to XYZ. Last thing I'm going to call out here um, is email, and it might seem funny that uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm shouting out email as a tool. Um, but writing a business email that gets a response is becoming very much of a lost art. Um, that said, uh, know your audience. Do not write generic emails. They are spam. Be focused. Get to the point. Use the person's name. Um, nothing catches person's attention so much as seeing their name in the email. Use keywords. Help, advice, referral are attention grabbers. And then the subject line is your friend. As an example, um, I would pay attention to an email that was that 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 was entitled "Larry, new developer seeks your advice." I'm gonna tell you a, a true story. I was meeting two young developers that I, I mentor in uh, in this area for dinner. Um, I received an email that had to be six pay paragraphs of closely written text, no spaces between the paragraphs, so that when I looked at this on my phone, all I saw was this, this single block of text. Um, I'm going to tell you that if I was not uh, waiting at the restaurant for my friends to arrive, I probably would have just deleted the email. I had no idea what the sender was asking me for. I ended up replying saying, I'm sure that you're asking me for something, but I don't know what it is. So it was actually from a kid. Um, I'm, I'm old, so, so everybody's a kid to me. Um, it was actually from a, a streamer um, who had moved on to Mixer, and he was asking me for a key for one of my games. Now, I'm going to tell you, if the email had gone to the point and said, Hi, I'm a streamer with an audience of X number of people, and I'd like to ask you for a key. I would have responded immediately to it and said, sure. Um, as it was, we ended up getting into a discussion uh, about why he felt he had to tell me everything about his background to justify himself. And he said, well, I'm, I'm really not known. And I said, well, well, I get that. But all the things that you're telling me really aren't relevant. If you told me that you're a new streamer and you don't have much of an audience, but if I would give you a key, you would be sure to promote my game because you don't get that many keys. I would have responded to that. Um, even if you had said, hey, you're only starting out and you just needed my help, I would have responded to that too. Okay, some some websites and, and tools. Um, I mentioned the IGDA, and this is not a commercial message for them, but there are often more developers in an area um, than, than you might think of. Um, so the Las Vegas IGDA um, had... Um, had grown really quiet, had kind of gone dark. Um, I moved out here two years ago um, from from Michigan. And uh, I met a great group of people um, here in Las Vegas that were really excited to, 
to, to get started, to get it back on track, and we're willing to give them their, their own time to make it happen. And we began to reach out to um, schools and universities in the area, um, University of uh, Las Vegas, um, uh, College of Southern Nevada, um, when there was still a branch of the Art Institute here. Um, and and we, we put it out there that um, it was free for, for our students. Well, you know what? Students graduate and they become developers in some cases. Um, we began doing some sponsorship of game jams. Anyway, long story short, um, we have over 500 members. If you're a member of my local IGDA and you're looking to gather the kind of business information that we're talking about being so important to your success, you're going to find plenty of resources that'll help you. Um, Steam Spy, I mentioned that before. Um, Steam Stats, uh, it's a great way to to at least begin with some um, comparables. Uh, Gamasutra.com. So Gamasutra is the site that is devoted to game business and uh, to blogs related to game development business. Again, if, if this is going to be more than a hobby for you, um, I, I urge you to, to read Gamasutra as, uh, as part of your morning, um, you know, ritual. Um, PowellGroupConsulting.com, online business matchmaking events. Um, this connects indie game developers with publishers. It has been a, a highly successful event. Um, it was successful before the virus, um, when there were still GDCs and E3s. Um, now that those kinds of in-person events are canceled, it's, it's even more important. And, uh, and that kind of concludes my, uh, my presentation. I'll be around for uh, questions. All right, Larry. Uh, why don't we just keep the slides open for your uh, your all your information for for everyone to kind of see, uh, just in case they want to reach out to you. Sure thing. I can do that as well. Um, you can actually also um, catch me catch me here on uh, on Discord. Um, I'm uh, I'm online uh, all too often, so. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a I, I got a, a good reminder for anyone that wants to kind of pull in questions while we're on stream here. I'll kick it off with my own questions. So I'm still very new to the business world, and at least thinking and approaching game development with a business mindset. And uh, uh, and what I'm learning and a lot of what you're talking about is is kind of building a relationship with with whoever you want to work with right which makes a lot of sense I, I think as a game developer by default we don't think that way uh yeah outside of that's, our discipline. that's that's true yep so and and, uh, and even within the discipline yeah but go ahead but uh, i i think you're kind of getting the hint of my question here it's just like can you kind of expand on that a bit what, what you've seen um for for game developers that are uh, initially hesitant to to kind of think that way or sure. just simply do not know absolutely um the, the first thing is that um sending out making that first contact that 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 initial contact um brandon just just before i start answering is my is my uh slideshow uh showing yes so i'm not sure yeah, okay good. just okay. go to your last slide and just have I will. contact information that'll be great Actually, actually, I'm I'm terrible. Um, I uh, as a as a business person, um, I, I should be shot. Uh, um, 
because I did not include my contact information on here, but um, you can find you can find Larry Cooperman at, at Night Dive Studios pretty easily. Um, uh, le- but let me answer your, your question on there. Um, so it's it's really it's really challenging um, for for people to make that in, initial initial reach out. Um, you need to understand that uh, the game development community is largely populated by what's the word that I'm looking for? Oh yeah, game developers. That as uh, as as shy and introverted as you may be, the person at the other end is is likely to be just as shy and introverted. That does not mean um, that the relationship is going to be uncomfortable. It means that you need to spend some time to to be sure to break the ice on there. Um, but once you make that contact, um, the people in our industry not only are 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 they mostly really nice and and willing to help um but they're also like you and let me also say that in talking about building your business relationship um i suggested that you reach out to people a in your area that's that's obvious because you can you can meet with them um again if there's an active igda branch over there if there are game jams or if there are those kinds of activities you can meet with them in person um but a number of our igda communities and a number of just development communities um have regular meetings uh at bars, at restaurants, at, at, at kind of social venues, simply because it is really difficult for people in our business to find other people that are like us, that are interested in the, the same types of things that we're interested in, that speak a, a common language with us. However, when you do find somebody um, that, that aligns with you on, on many of those things, it's really exciting and it's really, it's really mutually beneficial. Um, let's talk, for example, about people that, that write visual novels. And I use that as an example. Um, people that write visual novels are going to face the same challenges. Um, again, you know, somebody introverted, somebody um, who, who is, is not necessarily outgoing. When they find out that you are working on a similar project and you ask them about what software they're using, um, challenges that they faced, um, how you get past developers block, um, you will find very often that they will get really excited and really animated because how often do you get to talk to people that are interested in the same kinds of things that you are? Brent, is that a, a fair question, a fair, fair answer to your question? I'm on mute. What a new mistake. My bad. So uh, as we're waiting for questions to kind of pull in, uh, I do have. Uh, I saw question. your li- I saw your lips moving. And, and 
<laughs> I was, I was Please go ahead. giving you some anticipation. So uh, my question was. Uh, uh, let, let, let me back. Let me back up one second. Let me back up one second. Did did I answer your earlier question fully about yes. about making those initial contacts with other developers? Because that's really important. Okay, then I'm yeah. ready for your next one. Yeah, the networking is definitely an important side of it. Uh, my next question is more more for like a personal reason, but a lot of game developers out there are are, are spending their time or half their time, um, well, most of their time building the product. Right? What resources right. do you recommend to get them started in this path? of approaching their games with a business mindset. And then uh, on top of that, uh, how much time and resources, let's say given a day, uh, should they dedicate just towards thinking like that uh, besides making a product? Perfect question. Um, the place that I start off, the the thing that really helps me get focused, uh, I, I really, really like Gama Sutra. Um, in particular, on Gama Sutra, there there are the articles in Gama Sutra, and there's there's always something that's that's really interesting to me. Um, but there are also some some great blog sites, and the blog sites do two things: a, it allows the author to you know be a little bit more personal and to expand on their ideas. But number two, very often there's contact information. So if I read some that's that's just a jewel um i'll reach out to the author of it um i start off my mornings by um before so before i i get into the business stuff that i deal with um and and my life is is not necessarily as exciting as you might think um i spend a lot of time on spreadsheets and contracts um there's a, a line uh, from from an Ian Fleming James Bond that um, it reads better than it lives, um, but I, I always start off my morning by by getting caught up on on the news. So you know I hit the usual sites. Um, I, I usually start off with uh, with PC Gamer. Um, I will hit Kotaku, although Kotaku is less interesting to me since uh, Jason Shearer has departed from there. Um, I will look at IGN, but then I go over to Gama Sutra, and Gama Sutra really helps me to get my um, my business face on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm a constant visitor to to that site myself, and uh, it, it definitely makes it. Uh, an easier digestible uh, approach than than diving into the library or a bookstore and and just going through that section and not knowing where yeah. to start. And and the other thing is, um, do not hesitate um, if you read an article, particularly a blog article um, that that is interesting to you, something that is that seems innovative. Um, do not hesitate to reach out to the author and and give them some props for what they wrote. Um, and and you know certainly see about uh, about making a contact with him. Yeah, I, I feel like what how how much of it, and we we kind of touched this a bit with networking. How much of that should be part of your lifestyle to build the product, to talk about your product, but then meeting the not even about the right people because a lot of the times I I, I feel. Um, opportunities just come out from outside your peripheral sometimes. And it's a lot about just waiting or keeping those door open. So, um, great story on that. Um, uh, I was staying, uh, in Seattle for, uh, one of the events steam used to have steam dev days. Um, we were staying at a hotel, um, right down the block from, from where the meeting was being, being hosted. Um, we're in the elevator there and, um, 
I noticed uh, the two gentlemen that were riding in the elevator with me um, had had passes on for the show, but I actually I actually could not see their, their either their names or their company, um, just because of the angle that was at. But I could see that they were wearing the passes, you know. And um, the elevator stops, and I see the guys kind of looking around. I said, "Are, are you are you looking for the show?" They said yes, and uh, I uh, said, "Well, you know, I'm I'm heading up there. Um, if you guys want to follow me, it's, it's only a couple of blocks away, but I'll, I'll be happy to show you, you know, where you can get in and and all that stuff." And and we head up there, and you know, just being friendly. Those two guys were the publisher that I had my first meeting with. Mm. So yes, it it should always it should always be a habit. Um, it was it really was pretty funny um, as we're walking there. Um, you know, once we once we get inside, we're both heading over to the same conference room. Um, but it should just be a, be a habit for you. Um, the the other thing that you will you will find is that like many things, with repetition, it gets easier. Um, you you refine your elevator pitch. Uh, what your company does, uh, you know, you, you you get all of those things. They the first couple of times that you do them, they're awkward and they are um, they they sound unpolished. But through repetition, you know, it just gets easier to say and and it becomes a, a habit. So the other thing that I tell people all the time, just the easiest thing that you can do to help build your network is once you have your business cards carry some with you everywhere you go stick a couple in your wallet just in case you run into somebody at the store at the you know wherever um and it it turns out that uh, they're wearing a hoodie from a game development studio that you love and you're able to pass your card off to them business cards are very effective i, I think in this age of just exchanging information through the phone people tend to really forget that that step of putting some production value behind your business card and, and carrying them around. Yeah. Uh, because especially at uh, these uh, conventions, um, they're very handy because you're, you're meeting people so fast and, and you're passing by a lot of people uh, handing them out. I, at least on, for me on the other end, uh, I just keep it in my pocket. And after the event is over, I kind of go through them and actually, do and I feel like a lot of people uh, do the same. One one of the things that I do, I, I have done at various times, and it depends on your your personal preference. Um, but uh, my personal business card, because I, I also I'm less so now, I'm I'm just too busy. But I, I there have been times when I've done some some outside consulting for people. I have my photograph on there. It's a small one, and you know. Um, as, uh, as as flattering as it can get. And the reason that I do that is because particularly at a GDC or an E3, um, you'll come out with a wallet full of business cards and you'll say, wow, which guy was this? Right. Um, and just having that that picture will, will help. Of course, uh, it's easier for you because you're young and handsome and <laughs> I'm old and not handsome. <laughs> You'd be surprised. We'll throw it in disgust. And, and out of jealousy. <laughs> see, uh, see, see what 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 I make up for with, and and there are things I actually have a, a whole closet behind me full of suits. Um, this is not my first career. I had a very exciting career in healthcare um, finance. If you're ever having a hard time falling asleep, I'll be happy to tell you about that because um, it will put you to sleep in seconds. Um, but I, I, I wore suits and ties for, 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 for decades of my life. Um, now I'm, um, 
I'm notorious um, for for wearing my T-shirts. Um, the one that I'm wearing today says, uh, no, you're right. Let's do it the dumbest way possible because it's easier for you. Um, um, I, uh, I wore one yesterday that says, I can explain it to you, but I can't understand it for you. Um, I probably wouldn't want to wear that to a to a business meeting, but um, one of the one of the one of the few advantages about getting old, um, and I'm not even going to say older, but about getting old is that um, I've gone from um, rebellious to eccentric. <laughs> uh, that's great qualities to have throughout your career. So this is a question from uh, Nightwolf, and the question is: uh, This is back to the business card portion. Yep. So how would the business cards work now that we're pretty much all virtual uh, since we're all online now? So um, first, of, first of all, um, there are there, while we are still online, um, the, the the version of that that uh, that becomes part of of your um, of your arsenal of weapons is the signature part of your email. So my signature on my email, Brandon, you've, you've got my emails. My signature uh, uh, on my email has my name, my title. It has um, my email address, which is kind of dumb because you just got it in an email. It has my, my cell phone number. Um, it has my Skype uh, handle, which I, I use less and less, but some people do use Skype. And it has Discord, which is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, so that becomes that the answer to the question is the signature on your emails, which you should set up every time, um, becomes becomes the the uh, the online version of your business card. So that's that's one part of it. Um, the other part of it, particularly if you're a one man studio. And uh, uh, speaker from Zachtronics just before was talking about this. If you're a one-man studio and you have a, a it, w- whether you're one man or, or a small studio, um, and you have a web page uh, for your game or for your studio, uh, there should certainly be a means of contacting you directly from there. Mm-hmm. So you want to have a contact section, and those would become the electronic equivalent of your business cards. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is a question, uh, the, uh, is there any advice on creating great relationships during networking events that makes a person stand out from the others? Yes. Be honest. Very first thing, be honest about who you are. Um, one of the things that, that, uh, that comes up every once in a while is, uh, somebody will, will embellish a story about how long they've been in the business or will not get to what they need. And those things become memorable and, and can really tarnish a relationship. So if you're a young developer starting out, um, at some point in every one of your conversations, you want to say, I'm a young developer starting out and I'm really looking for somebody to help me. I'm looking for somebody to, to be my mentor. Um, so honesty and, and candor on there. The second thing that, um, that, that becomes really, really important about networking is get to the point. If there's something that you're asking for, and this this goes into into how you introduce yourself, um, if you're looking if you're looking to uh, to find help for your game, if you're looking to get business analysis, if you're looking to get analytics, get to the point of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, coming from like a, a business side of things, you were talking about how most of your day is being drowned out um, and in, in contracts. And I, and I feel like if anything, especially in your small development team, you, you have the whole side of just making the game. But on the business side of things, I feel a lot of it is just having a, a team of great lawyers, finance, everybody uh, to kind of help you on that side. I mean, what is the minimum that you recommend to kind of get a small group together that you totally say these this is where you should put your money at if you're going to spend it so, to make sure you, so you avoid a, any issues. A, so a good lawyer is great, but you know what? Um, there is uh, no substitute for being willing to read it yourself. Anytime you get a proposal, anytime you get uh, before it goes to the lawyer, uh, you sit down with your you know, whatever tools you use, whether you use a pen or a pencil, use a yellow highlighter, um, whatever, um, w whatever tools uh, are, are easiest for you to use and force yourself to read through that contract. Um, circle the parts that you don't understand. Those are the ones that you're going to ask your lawyer about. I pretty much guarantee you that um, on the first contract that you read, um, when you get up to the section on um, indemnification, your eyes are going to glass over. It's something that you get you get past the first time, but be willing to do the work and to read it yourself. You're every bit as smart as the lawyer. You may not be as expert in the same things, but but you're you're um, you're that smart. Then again, and I'm going to answer a lot of the questions the same way. If you've developed even even um, even the beginnings of of a network, a local network, you now have resources. If you if you know one person in the area that's that's done a game um, successfully, that that feels good about it, ask them who they used as a lawyer. Get that referral. If um, if if they say well they, they've done it all themselves, then ask them whether they'd be willing to help you or give you some advice. And you don't have to show them the whole contract, but you can ask them what you know what what does indemnification mean. Um, mm -hmm. But again, you know, approach approach a contract, approach all of that business stuff the same way you would a coding problem. Um, go to Google, look at, at you know, ask ask look look up definitions, um, look up templates for stuff. Uh, when um, when when Night Dive started out, um, we were using you know pretty standard uh, templates that were freely available that we then took and we. We we uh, made them you know, specific to to what we were doing, but it but it gave us a starting ground. Yeah, I think a lot of that is um, the referral thing is definitely a huge thing. I think if you find someone within your network that you trust that is working with you for a long time, uh, what has helped me at least is just asking them. You know, if there's a yeah. certain certain part of the business that you need filling <laughs> uh, that has worked out really well because chances are they're, they're connected with great people um, as well uh, in these other departments. Well, well you know, we, we, we optimistically, we hope that they're going to say, Oh, I'm working with a great lawyer, but at the very least they can say, I worked with this one guy and he was terrible. Don't go to him. It's, it's great to learn from your own mistakes. It's even better to learn from other people's.
Exactly. Um, another question that I have, and maybe we don't have to go into too much of the details, but if you don't mind kind of like sharing, not a complete horror story when a business goes bad, but like um, maybe just the more like the steps of why it went bad, uh, like why, why things didn't work out the, the way it was intended because of these common mistakes uh, yeah. that could have been so, easily avoided. So I'll, I'll tell you two stories. And first of all, um, first of all, uh, the common mistakes that could have been easily avoided. If they're common mistakes, there's a reason that people make them over and over again. Uh, the, the one that, that I, um, I start off with, and, and I, I referenced this article. This was an interview, um, with a whole team of us, but, but I was the first person that spoke, um, for the escapist and was talking about our, um, misadventures in the development of System Shock, which I'm going to begin by saying is very, very happily on track. If you haven't played the demo, you certainly should. It's on Steam and GOG, and there are plenty of, of walkthroughs and gameplay trailers, commercial message in there. But, um, so we, we began by doing, um, a demo of, of what we thought was going to be the, the game direction, um, built up in Unity. Um, we, uh, we, we launched it at GDC. We put it online at GDC. We had uh, an announcement in PC Gamer, and we had something like a, a quarter of a million views um, the first week on the trailer. We, we knew we had something very exciting, and we announced that we were doing a Kickstarter um, to raise, raise funds for the development of the game. Well, the Kickstarter was, was really successful. We, we raised quite a bit of money, and we were flush with our own success. Um, the interview that I'm referencing began with the words, the longest journey often in game development often starts with the words, you know what else would be cool? And um, we, we feature creeped. No, no, we said it to ourselves. You know what else would be cool? And that's how we start off on the longest journey. Um, we feature creeped our game to the point that it was no longer recognizable from the original concept. So first thing that I would tell you is uh, when you have a plan, stick to the plan. Um, avoid those, you know what else would be cool kind of things. Um, that's, that's number one. Um, be, be leery of your, your own success. Um, we, we thought we were better than, than, than we were. And that's not a knock on us. It's just, it's just that we became, you know, we, we had some real good initial success. We ended up, um, going off the track that we wanted to go on. It was a painful process. We got back on track and now we've returned to the original, the original um, vision, but it was, it was a costly, um, it was a costly series of mistakes that we learned from. The second thing um, that we, uh, that I would tell you is, um, is don't put all your eggs in one basket. So a horror story for, from, um, from my early days in game development, first game that I, um, that I sold or, or that I did a licensing deal on, um, we're really lucky. We worked with take two. Um, it was a great relationship. It was very successful and, uh, things, things went quite well and we got paid and we were, we were quite flush with the money and we thought that was great. The, uh, the second game that we sold, we had, um, almost the opposite experience. Our game did very, very well. Um, but the publisher that we were working with went into bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is an amazing thing. Um, it basically says, well, we sold your game and we made a lot of money and we're not giving you any of it because we had other debts. 
And that, that really happened to us. Um, we had sold, by a conservative estimate, um, 60,000 copies of a game at retail, and we, we basically got, got zero in terms of payments on that. Um, and there, there was a, a whole lot of horror stories on that, but um, that, that really hurt. Uh, but the one thing that was a saving grace was, and this was at the very beginning of, of, of the 2000s, we were selling our game digitally. That is what saved Stardock from going into bankruptcy in the early days. That That is a... This is one of the scariest things a game developer would would hear that it's it did well, but you're not getting any of it. And uh, it, it seems like it's one of those because I'm sure you guys at least uh, seeked out legal ramifications. But I feel like oh, absolutely much to do is there when someone files not 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 much. Um, and it's it uh, you you end up going to a court and 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 fighting over over the crumbs. Right. And then that's that itself. That's it. Probably. Yeah. That drove, drive you more into debt than, than anything. Right. Um, yeah. You're probably in most cases you're spending more than you're actually going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Larry, uh, we are at the end of the hour and I want to thank you for, for coming on and, and, and sharing the, uh, an important topic that I, 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 I constantly want to learn more about because business and the business side of games is, it's something I'm I'm quite new to, and a lot of game developers who are watching and will be listening to this later, it's the same story. We just have no idea how to approach it. I, uh, I I'll give you one um one one parting thought on this. Um, you can't possibly know everything, so one of the things that you can do is is to try to find experts on a particular topic. Um, develop relationships with them and um, and ask them questions and never be afraid to ask questions. All right, All right guys. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for hosting this. This was absolutely great. And I'm, I'm glad that I got an opportunity to reach out to your audience and um, we'll stay in touch. All right. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest 
questions and comments on your deepest, darkest secrets. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.